Yeah, that thing sounds weird. It always sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm used to it now, but... I'm not. Yeah. I don't know how you could get used to it. It's a fucking evil robot. <laughs> I'm but that's at fine. one with the machine. I'm at one with the machine. <laughs> I'm one of those weird-ass anarcho-transhumanists. Please give me the robot girl body already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um uh, well, welcome what do the- I what the fuck do I call you? Um Quiver? <laughs> me? Yeah, you can call me Quiver. Um I'm Quiver Watts. I uh, I use they them pronouns. Um I work at Street Sheet. <laughs> awesome. Yes. For our listeners, Street Sheet is a Bay Area um, homeless newspaper. To uh, yeah, we're um, we're the uh, homeless run newspaper with the largest circulation um, in the U.S. And we also have been in print for uh, thirty years as of last year. So um, yeah, we have the longest uh, continuously published street newspaper um, in North America, and I think in the world. Um, so I'm the editor of that paper and basically what we do is we, um, are a platform for homeless people to, uh, share their stories and political perspectives. Um, and then we get the papers printed and circulate them for free to unhoused folks or marginally housed folks who, uh, can sell them and keep all the proceeds that they bring in from those sales. So, um, we're both a platform for, uh, homeless folks to share their perspectives and also a way to generate um, income for folks that need it. That's great. That's great. And we've got you on because there's been a lot of uh, activity happening down there like yeah. with the recent COVID stuff. Yeah. And lots of like, everyone's like seeing all like, the shit that's getting in the news of all the different usual suspects looking to be big, impressive people in charge, uh, including Governor Newsom in California, who's made uh, some surprising moves compared to most of the rest of the country on uh, homelessness, but during COVID. But it, from what your reporting has shown, things are definitely more than meets the eye in California. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, A lot of the coverage that we have been doing in the last week has focused on um, San Francisco's policies around how to respond to uh, outbreaks in homeless shelters and encampments. And so, um, you know, we we first started quarantine, I guess, about a month ago, uh, at which point we like our organization kicked into high gear immediately um, calling for a hotel room for every single person who's experiencing homelessness. Um, so that's at least 9,000 rooms. We expect more uh, because we know that the point in time count where we get the, those estimates is always like a severe undercount of how many people are actually homeless. Um, but we have 30,000 empty hotel rooms in San Francisco right now that have been offered to the city uh, and the city could 
move people in like yesterday to those rooms. Um, however, the mayor, for whatever reason, has uh, consistently refused to actually move people off the streets or out of shelters and into hotel rooms where they can quarantine in place. Um, and so what we're seeing now is, I think, just like the tragic and inevitable result of um, kind of like intentionally malicious failed policies um, that have kind of just fucked over poor people in San Francisco. <sighs> um, <laughs> sorry, that was grim. <laughs> well, the situation is grim. Yeah. And to a lot of listeners, it's probably surprising to be hearing that the San Francisco that gets like lambasted in Fox and everywhere else as being some sort of like liberal, like Sodom or something is really actually not. Yeah. All it's cracked up. I think, um, you know, the, the media had sort of initially been covering um, the fact that the mayor had the, the power to turn hotel rooms over to homeless people. Um, and then that San Francisco was turning hotel rooms over to homeless people and that was a huge surprise to me and to many of my colleagues who work with homeless people because um, none of us could get a sense of who exactly was being moved into hotel rooms or how people were being moved into hotel rooms. Um, so the story started to unravel because um, I uh, sent sort of a form message to Trent Rohr, um, who is part of the uh, human services human services agency in San Francisco. Um, and it was part of like a email blast, like a number of people sent this email to him. And he, uh, the form letter that he responded with explained that, no, they wouldn't be housing all homeless people in hotel rooms. And that the only way to qualify for a hotel room um, was to test positive for COVID-19, to have been directly exposed to somebody who tested positive for COVID-19, or um, if you are over 60 um, and have uh, underlying health conditions, you could get moved into a hotel room. Um, and that the demand to actually house all the people that are unable to shelter in place right now, um, despite all of the rhetoric coming from the city, encouraging people to shelter in place and saying that it's medically necessary for people to shelter in place, that it, Trent Rohr responded that it was not fiscally responsible for the city to put homeless people into hotel rooms. And so that was the first uh, sort of indication from a city official that I saw um, that this was going to be a lot, um, a lot more grim than the city was letting on. Um, and so pretty soon after I got that email, um, I ended up connecting with somebody who uh, had been asked to work at the Moscone Center. And so the Moscone Center was one of um, several large spaces um, that had been designated to be turned over to um, shelter homeless people. And... Um, what had started as a shelter that people who were living in encampments or on the street who didn't have an indoor place to be could move into, um, we quickly found out that actually uh, the plan was for people who had been staying in smaller neighborhood shelters to be thinned out so that those shelters could um, space like six feet apart, um, would be thinned out into this 400 person mass congregate shelter um, 
in the Moscone Center and also in the Palace of Fine Arts. And um, fortunately, this person who um, had been asked to work there was able to surreptitiously take some photos of what it looked like on the inside. But essentially, it was just a, like a mass camp uh, where people were given a like an armband at the door with their um, mat number. And it was just mats on the ground, um, 400 beds in one giant room, no partitions, um, masking tape sectioning out six feet on spacing on the floor. Um, none of the staff who'd been invited to work there uh, had received Narcan training or Narcan. Um, there were no hand washing stations. The only place that people could wash their hands, um, the person who I spoke to said uh, people would have to walk basically across the length of a football field in order to use the congregate bathrooms. Um, and then of course, congregate bathrooms are a huge problem in and of themselves. So basically what we saw was that the mayor's plan actually was just to let homeless people get sick because there's no way that you could put 400 people in a space like that um, and expect them to stay, stay healthy when the recommendation is that everybody shelter in place and self-quarantine. Um, so that that was the like big story that broke last week. Um, less than twenty four hours after that story came out, um, I, I mean, we've really never gotten this much traction on a story ever. Um, it had been shared so much. We had like I think thirty thousand people read it that night that it got posted. Um, and the next morning, the county supervisors um, had a press conference and basically said, this is unconscionable. The mayor should be putting people into hotel rooms. There's no excuse for this kind of a plan. Um, and then by 1 p.m. the next day, uh, the mayor had announced that they would no longer be moving people um, out of the small shelters and into Moscone Center, that they would no longer be opening the Palace of Fine Arts, and that they would continue to thin people out of shelters, but actually move people uh, who were deemed like at higher risk and directly into hotel rooms. Um, as far as I can tell, that is happening uh, much too slowly, but it is happening. And several hundred people have moved into, had moved into shelters, or sorry, had moved into hotels like within the first three days after that story broke. Well, that's good news. Um, yeah. But you mentioned, you mentioned something earlier uh, about the staff not uh having any Narcan or Narcan administration training. Um, could you explain to our listeners uh, what Narcan is and why it's so important that you would have that at a shelter like this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Narcan is like a, um, it's a life-saving uh, tool that can be used if somebody overdoses on heroin um, and we or fentanyl. Um, we've had a huge spike in fentanyl overdoses in the last six months and like in the last year, actually in the last few years. Um, and so a lot of people have uh, have died because there's not access to Narcan in shelters. And so there's been a huge push in the in the city to equip all shelter workers um, and train them in using Narcan to. Um, reverse people's overdoses. And I don't know the numbers on it, but I, I mean, I personally know a number of people who have saved lives through Narcan, uh, like using Narcan with folks uh, who've overdosed. And I know that it's, um, it's a extremely effective method. Uh, so the idea that we would just put 400 people into a room um, and not have anybody 
who is trained and not have any access to Narcan in that area is just like, it, it just means that like, we know that people will die. People will overdose. Yeah. See, the, these are the kind of conditions that the mayor saw fit to put people in. This, and uh, I'm glad that your work has been able to help so many people uh, keep from being placed into that kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, you know, so one thing that I would say, and, you know, I think um, there was a, a big celebratory feeling when um when things shifted at moscone center um unfortunately it hasn't shifted nearly enough the city is still only committing to opening seven thousand hotel rooms and they won't say what number of those are even for homeless people um some of them are for frontline uh, service providers or for um, medical staff Obviously, we want hotel rooms for those folks as well as for all homeless people. And so um, we need at least 9,000 hotel rooms that are specifically for unhoused folks. Um, and then what is still happening at Moscone Center is they, they have to the number of beds. So there's 200 beds still at Moscone Center. Um, and they're using those beds for people who test positive for COVID and then uh, recover or for people and, and test negative. Um, or for people who test negative um, but have been exposed. And so it's really not that significantly different. Um, they're not moving people out of shelters. So this would be for people who um, go to the hospital and then are discharged from the hospital after having tested negative, um, which is definitely an improvement. But what that means is that people who get coronavirus in a smaller neighborhood shelter will go to the hospital um, and then once they're discharged because of the new restrictions on um, not allowing people to come and go in shelters, uh, they'll be discharged and have nowhere to go except for Moscone Center and then immediately like be placed in a room with 200 people um, who maybe have recovered from COVID or maybe have never had COVID yet, um, but could like absolutely still get it. And so... Um, you know, there's a some marginal improvements in terms of um, spacing people further apart and putting in physical partitions, but I mean, it's still a, an inexcusable like way of addressing the situation when there are thirty thousand vacant rooms that literally the mayor could just take and move people into today. Where does the push seem to be coming from for this kind of? I, that you couldn't do this in a more calculatedly malicious way if you were deliberately trying. Like, it, and they're like that they're saying this is not yeah. fiscally responsible <clears throat> to like to move people into rooms that, as you said, are already there. Like, where it whose idea? Like, where does this? Yeah, seem to be coming um, from? Like, I mean the, the people that I know who are. Um, well, there are two people who, because of emergency powers, could tomorrow move people into hotel rooms, um, and that's Marilyn and Breed um, and Tomas Aragon, who's like the, um, I forget his title, but he's like the head of health or something. He's like the health officer of San Francisco. That's his title. Um, so both of them, because of the state of emergency powers, have the... Um, 
have the ability to just take hotel rooms as well as vacant housing units and turn them over to people who need housing in order to quarantine in medically recommended ways. Um, and so it's really the failing of those two people specifically that this hasn't happened. Um, I think that there are a number of public officials, Trent Rohr of the Human Services Agency, who made that statement about um, you know fiscal responsibility. Certainly has been um, he's certainly been supporting these completely misinformed policies. Um, Misinformed maybe isn't the right word. I don't think that they have misinformation. I think that they don't care about poor people's lives. Um, so, yeah, but but specifically Tomas Aragon and Mayor London Breed are the people who have all of the power right now to save lives and are refusing to do so. What do you think is uh, not just the primary obstacle in getting getting Breed and Aragon to uh, to implement these policies, to house people in all of this vacant housing and all of these hotel rooms. But more than that, what would you say is the primary uh, obstacle towards getting more services out there for everyone include outside of housing? Um, I think I lost you for a second there. You said uh, including what? Um, outside of housing, uh, what would be yeah. one of the primary obstacles in getting resources out there? Totally. Um, so another big story that has broken, um, I think, yesterday uh, is that like staff at UCSF has been saying that they're available to um, test homeless people who think that they may have been exposed or who want a test. Um, and the mayor is insisting that there aren't resources for that. Um, and it seems like that is actually just a lie, that they're actually, the Department of Public Health in San Francisco does have enough tests to do blanket testing for everybody who wants a test. Um, so we definitely need people to be able to opt into testing across the shelter system, as well as like folks living in homeless encampments. Um, I think another big problem, um, that isn't getting as much play for some reason or isn't, isn't getting as much coverage is that, um, there are still encampment sweeps that are happening throughout this pandemic, which is, yeah, I mean, it's literally, it's genocidal. Oh, it's genocidal. It makes no sense. It's, Fucking um, hell. <laughs> like people who have nothing to, uh, shelter them except for a tent a sleeping bag, um, sometimes just a tarp, are still getting harassed by police, uh, being told to move down the block because neighbors are calling police or because the cops just don't like the way a camp looks. Um, and so, you know, officially they're not supposed to be doing it, but we're still getting reports that that, that is happening. And there have been several uh, videos documenting it happening in the last month um, since the shelter-in-place order took effect. And so... Um, I feel like this should be the most obvious demand, but we absolutely need a moratorium on encampment sweeps because um, it puts people at such further risk, not only because people need to be able to stay six feet away, they need to be able to stay in a tent, they need to have the medications that they rely on to keep their health up, but also because even if 
the cops aren't confiscating people's belongings, uh, even being woken up and told to move down the block causes extreme stress and sleep deprivation and anxiety that like really seriously impact the health outcomes of homeless people. And so um, that is another huge barrier to the city having a like successful response to COVID-19 in um, homeless communities. This is just another major vector, too, in that, like, the police are coming along, and they're getting within six feet. They're, like, like, (laughs) they're getting within six feet, and they're moving people around. Yeah. Like, what happened in New York? What what happened in New York? Oh, yeah, something like 20% of NYPD called in sick at once or something. Most of the force ended up having it. And it wasn't just them sicking yeah. out. It was yeah, like I'll, legit, I'm... you know, they've got the Rona. Um, and no, it's absolutely ridiculous. And we're still allowing these people to come into contact with members of the public who aren't infected. Like, come the fuck on. I mean, I, I realize they're probably going to do that, but still this it's not gonna help no this is gonna help (laughs) yeah yeah and often unhoused people have a lot of they're at risk in a lot of ways many are older many have compromised immune systems um it's or, you know, they're comorbid stuff. stuff. It's very it's very dangerous for for everyone. Yeah. In San Francisco it's it's over sixty percent of the population of homeless folks have a disability um that could be a like underlying health condition. So it's it's a very serious threat to our community for sure. And yeah, I mean, the fact that like police are still like, I don't think that there's any excuse for police to be the like first responders to homeless folks ever. Like that's just not a successful way of dealing with poverty um, for a million reasons. But um, the idea that people who are the most vulnerable to coronavirus are still getting like contact often with police is absolutely inexcusable in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, and like it's it's really important to remember that this is a war on people just because they're poor. Like this is I will come out and say it. I have mental illness and I am addicted to opiates and I'm housed and I don't get the harassment that really? an unhoused person because I have the money to stay somewhere to stay inside and i get nowhere near the amount of harassment just because i have more money and so this is a war on people just because they're poor it's putting them at risk in so many ways yeah i mean i like i think similarly you know i'm a person who has to sleep at night and i have to eat like, people still get tickets for sleeping in public, for eating. Like, we had somebody get a $300 citation last year for eating a slice of pizza at a bus stop. So, like, all of us do things on a daily basis that 
if we were homeless would be criminal acts. And those are just acts of survival, like daily acts of survival are criminal in California. Um, California has more anti-homeless laws on the books than any other state. Um, and San Francisco has more anti-homeless laws on the books than any other county in the state, as far as I understand it. So this is like ground zero for the war on poor people. Absolutely. Uh, what is there that yeah, I... like people uh, listening in can do, especially because of the restrictions that are now in place uh, statewide, looking to at least until June, probably longer. What is there that people who are housed can do to help people who are unhoused and having to take the brunt of this in the worst way possible? Totally. Um, That's a great question. So um, I think the most important thing. Um, If you go to streetsheet.org, there's a sort of like thing at the top that says COVID-19 recommendations. Um, And we have a list of 17 demands for the city. Um, And we're asking folks to call into the mayor and call into the health officer, Tomas Aragon, uh, to demand that they meet like all seven of these asks. Um, And that includes the demand for hotel rooms. Um, So that's a really big one. and we also are planning some actions in the coming months. And so uh, if you want to stay abreast of what political actions are happening, um, today we had a car, like a car demonstration um, to protest the city's failure to place people in hotel rooms. Um, so if you're interested in getting involved in actions like that, you can text us. Um, you just text HOME to the number 510 399 2394. Um, And then the other thing that I would say, and this is like just a shameless plug on behalf of the vendors that I work with, but um, we're doing a GoFundMe to support people who um, would otherwise be the ones bringing this news to you right now, um, who are are like poor and homeless vendors who sell the newspapers on street corners um, and get the word on the street out uh, to our readers they unfortunately are not able to make a living right now because our paper is out of print. Um, And so we're doing a um, mass fundraiser in coordination with Street Spirit, which is the homeless newspaper in Oakland and Berkeley, um, in order to sort of compensate for some of the lost income. Um, It's not going to be enough, but uh, every dollar that you give to that fundraiser goes directly to um, our homeless vendors who are desperately in need right now. so yeah, those are three things that are super, super helpful. I can't even say enough how helpful those things are. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the, the situation down there is dire, but we do have like a lot of people like you coming out and helping around. And like I couldn't be more grateful, even if it's on behalf of other people, that you're out here and you're making this stuff known. Thanks. Yeah, I honestly have been like really blown away at just how much support we've had and also just the projects that people in our community have been plugging into. Um, You know, there's somebody that volunteers with us who um, kind of launched this like tent initiative and has distributed hundreds of tents to people who otherwise were just sleeping cold out on the street. Um, Punks with Lunch in Oakland has been like going out with Narcan and like other essential supplies and needles to do needle exchange at encampments, which is like super risky and like 
also so incredibly important right now. Um, and so, yeah, the, the like ways that people turn up in this crisis are um, pretty amazing and definitely necessary because the state is absolutely not going to take care of us. So we got to take care of each other. That's so true and, and so important. The state will not take care of us. We have to take care of each other. And I want all of you out there to do what you can to research what other groups are in your area if you're not in the Bay. Because there are groups out there doing this in almost every city. Absolutely. So try to look them up. This is one of the most important things going on right now. Yeah, and if anybody is trying to plug in with like homeless organizing efforts in their own cities, um, feel free to reach out to me also. Um, we have been doing a lot of coordination with uh, folks doing this kind of work in other places, and so um, I'd be happy to put anybody in touch who's wanting to plug in more. Where would they be able to reach you? Oh, yeah. Um, you can uh, find my email address on our website, streetsheet.org, uh, but my email address is qwatts, Q-W-A-T-T-S, at cohsf.org. Um, so that stands for Coalition on Homelessness, San Francisco. Um, so cohsf.org. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, I think we've learned a lot here today about the situation in San Francisco. Yay. Good. <laughs> yeah. I've yeah. It's actually like... helpful to like, okay. Oh, I was like, I've been kind of wondering how that's, how all that's been going since like up until, oh, August, 2018. I I was homeless for a couple of years. Um, I was usually in a shelter, but I mean, you know, even shelter life sucks quite a bit, you know? Um, And so it's like, (sighs) like the only reason I'm not homeless right now with, you know, all the shit that's happening is because my my friend pays the rent like that that's pretty much it right there like i just stay at her place and so it's like yeah honestly a lot of people don't want to hear it but one of the best things you can do to reduce homelessness is to take someone in oh my god i I know it's (laughs) like almost certainly there's someone that you know that is that could use a couch in trouble you know? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, we've said it before, 40% of all Americans are one paycheck away from poverty. And nothing about that says that you have yeah. a stable living situation. Like that's, that's kind of the reality. And so it's like, it's really good to hear that y'all are doing all of this, especially in, uh, in the Bay where everything is just so hostile to people who don't make like high six figures. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. Um, I mean, certainly trying to pay rent in the Bay area is a constant hustle. And, um, and I often have people who work in tech ask me, you know, like, what is the best thing that I can do? And I'm like, 
buy someone a house <laughs> or like <laughs> or pay their yeah. rent. Like it's actually really simple. The the thing that solves homelessness is actually housing. Turns out there's nothing that's like fundamentally different about homeless people. The only thing that's fundamentally different is that they don't have a house. So if you just give people houses, <laughs> like you won't have homelessness anymore. It'll be chill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And wasn't there something like, I think like the, not a recent one, but like the city's attorney, like did a report, like, I think like eight or 10 years ago or something that found there's something like 18,000 empty residential yes. units just in San Francisco because, and, you know, speculation, you know, like, I mean, I, hold on to this I think that like money. our organization has done a lot of really great work in the last few months, um, uplifting the need for people to be placed in hotel rooms. Um, but definitely like now is the time to be moving people into vacant units and like watching what's happening with reclaim LA and with, um, moms for housing. Like those projects, I think really show us what the future can be because like, we actually don't want people in hotel rooms long-term. We want people in stable housing units. And so, uh, there are vacant units. They should be handed over to people that need them. Like no question. Yeah. 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 There's, uh, could you uh, tell yeah. us a bit more about those groups? Um, yeah, I don't know that much about them. Um, I I know a little bit more about Moms for Housing because it is in Oakland where I live um, and actually right down the street from me. But um, basically a group of homeless moms um, who were tired of living unsheltered moved into um, a home that had been vacant for years uh, in West Oakland um, and basically asserted their right to housing uh, in a quickly gentrifying neighborhood. And um, they generated so much support from the neighbors and from the community that um, the like horrible private owner, um, Wedgwood, decided to um, sell the property or kind of was, was strong-armed into selling the property to a land trust. And so these moms are going to get to live in the house indefinitely. Um, which is like such an incredible win, um, you know, one down, ten thousand to go. Ah, <laughs> oh, hell yeah! Yeah, yeah. That kind of that kind of direct action is really what we what we love to see. It's just directly getting people into housing, and it's it's so important. Absolutely, you know, it's the only thing that really helps. Like. Yep. Yeah, my, and I, my problem was never services. It was that you know, I can't get a place. I can't get a place. Absolutely. It's it's most people it's are on wait lists for absolutely for years, like waiting to get into permanent housing. And um, you know, when we look at California as a whole, um, what I'm hearing is that a lot of the funding currently that's going into um, providing immediate services is uh, money that otherwise would have been going into affordable housing. And so um, coming out of this, we're going to have a much smaller budget for affordable housing, which means that we're going to be just even deeper in this absolutely ridiculous housing disaster <laughs> um, that we've been in for, you know, the last decade or more. Um, and so I, I don't think that there's going to be any doubt for California that like people should be moving into these vacant units and uh, that like 
the way that wealth is distributed in the state is untenable. Um, There's just absolutely no way that we can continue to have like the like highest numbers of homeless people living in neighborhoods that are, you know, with 20 year olds making the highest income of anywhere, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense. Um, And it's not going to keep, it can't keep going like this. No, no, it can't. And um, before we move too far away from the topic or in this discussion, I do want to plug something in my area, Squat PDX. Um, they're a group that uh, you can find them on Twitter at Squat PDX. Um, they're opening up squats here in Portland to just let people in, you know. Um, you if if you're looking for a place to stay, you might want to just message them. And if you're in the area and you want to help, message them. You know, they're they're just doing cool stuff. They're getting housing. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Uh, and to keep going a bit in this vein, like, and to build on like what we asked about a little earlier, what would be some things like more broadly that people can do to really shift this conversation, to move in a direction that says, Hey, look, we have something like what it's like eight empty homes for every homeless person in the United States. This is not a question of lack of means. It's a question of really fucked up distribution. Like, what can we do, like, if you're, like, say, in California or this, like, fucking hell, we've got to stop calling, like, these apocalyptic events, the Western States Pact thing oh, um, on the West Coast. Like, what are some things that, like, we could do, that people can do, like, w- especially since, you know, people are under a lot of restrictions that we normally don't have to worry about for organizing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I definitely think that like, we're going to have to stay really vigilant in the aftermath of this to make sure that, um, this pandemic is not, um, followed by a onslaught of evictions and, um, that tenants aren't expected to pay back rent because we're going to have way, way, way more people on the streets. If that's the case, um, I've been really encouraged to see in my neighborhood, um, a number of houses with, you know, white sheets with rent strike painted on them, hanging from people's balconies. Um, and I know that very, like many people in my community have not paid rent for April and don't intend to pay rent in May. Um, and I think that that momentum is really important because we know that people become homeless because they lose their housing here. Um, 70% of people who are homeless in San Francisco lost their housing uh, in San Francisco, and that's what made them homeless. Um, So we we kind of have to consistently combat this narrative that, like, people are just coming in from out of town to, like, use our excellent resources or whatever. We don't have excellent resources. People are losing their homes here because the rent is too damn high. Um, So we need people to, like be standing up in this moment and supporting the rent strike uh, if they can by refusing to pay rent. And if not, then by supporting their neighbors who aren't paying rent um, and showing up, you know, if the sheriff's office comes like showing up and in solidarity to make sure that people aren't getting evicted. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, in terms of like changing the discourse, uh, you know, I hope 
that people, I, I think a lot of folks who experience poverty and are struggling in this moment um, have a difficult time telling that story. And we kind of like isolate from each other and don't want to talk about like the ways that um, that poverty is impacting us. I think folks, you know, writing a letter to the editor, uh, writing a story for Street Sheet or for other um, homeless newspapers in the state, like that's really powerful work and like your story really matters. Um, and then I also think for class privileged people, uh, you know, we're often not expected to talk about, or like we're not encouraged to be open or transparent about the money that we have access to or don't have access to. And so um, the more class privileged people can step up and actually donate money and like redistribute their resources and privileges, like the more of a chance we have to get out of this mess together. Um, yeah. So those are some thoughts. I don't know. What do y'all think? <laughs> I don't know. That sounds good. You're, <laughs> Like, I mean, even though I've experienced homelessness, you're the expert here. You know how to fight it. Like, yeah. I fought it by getting a house because someone paid for it, you know? <laughs> that's great. That's what should happen. <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, like. In, so, you sound you know, like an yeah. expert to me. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, know how to, I know how to live hopelessly. I don't know how to solve the problem. I don't know how to fight it from the outside. And that's like really, you know, and it's great to hear how people are fighting it because, yeah, you know, it, it's a thing that needs, it's oh. the number one pressing issue to me right now. And yeah. other than, of course, just plague. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> uh, I, actually, and there might be one thing that I, I'm actually curious for your thoughts on whether or not this may potentially be making it easier that there's been reports in Toronto, um, Seattle, and a couple other places where Airbnb has been a big factor in driving up rents that a lot of Airbnb hosts are going under because they've been using these like taking out like 50 leases or something and then like renting all of them out as like, um, Airbnb units. Like, what do you think would be the impact of if that keeps getting momentum and Airbnb really like eats That'd some serious dope. shit? Yeah, fuck Airbnb. Like that. Literally, that platform has just completely devastated our housing markets, and it's uh, it's it's horrific. <laughs> like, I mean, I. I don't know. I think one of the first like joys that I experienced in quarantine was seeing some like Airbnb host flip out um in on video about how he wasn't going to oh, be able to like guy. That, that guy. guy. <laughs> that guy made my <laughs> I watched that. <laughs> I watched that over and over. I was so thrilled. I was like, yeah, I hope you're having a bad day. Like fuck you, yeah. man. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, so beautiful. Was... <laughs> <sighs> uh, that is like, that's up there with like watching rich white guys yeah, in ties I mean, cry like, over oh, stuff. Really no one cares. None of us care. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's what our show's about to laugh at those fucking people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, man. Yeah. We're going to have to put in like a small clip of that in there. 
This message is for Brian Chesky of Airbnb. We are your loyal hosts and most devoted supporters. Well, that is, we used to be. Now with fire boiling through our veins, we are collectively outraged. We thought you cared until you stabbed us in the back and left us to die. You give us the illusion of stability, then you tear it from our bleeding hands when we need it most. You let us choose a cancellation policy, then you override it on your whim like a sadistic tyrant. Maybe you're good at big numbers, engineering the perfect algorithm, designing the perfect culture, building systems at gravity-defying scale. But you greedy, selfish, arrogant, flippant, wishy-washy, backstabbing bastard, you would not have an empire without us. It really just brought me so much joy. Oh, yeah. I watched it over and over. I, like the first <laughs> first week of quarantine was a hard adjustment, and I like every time I felt myself, you know, coming to despair. I was like, ah, just watch the just watch the Airbnb guy have a bad day, and it really helped. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, oh, that's perfect. like, that, yeah, that's all, all, you know, jovial and stuff. But yeah, I mean, if, if Airbnb units were actually turned over into stable housing, like, that would do a lot for our rental market. And like, not enough, like, hopefully, at some point, we get to a place where people aren't in general paying rent to landlords. But like, yeah, if those units could just be available for people to live in again that would be way better than the current situation i mean it's like at this point i almost want to plug tim and all of them like go look at his videos and go figure out how to lock pick because it's going to be a very useful skill in the future like bolt cutters are true yeah and you know in minecraft in minecraft parody in a video saint helen and not anyone else on this podcast (laughs) there's going to be a lot of foreclosed airbnbs soon and there's going to be all sorts of useful bolt cutters at hardware stores (laughs) so I quiver watch will second that St. Helen. <laughs> that lock picking 100. You know, all I'm going to say is if you've been spending an absurd amount of time during this quarantine, like I have, playing entirely too much Fallout, then that lock picking mini game <laughs> is about to give a nice, like, practical application. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Parody. Parody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to get better at those Fallout mini games, that's what you need totally. to do. Hell yeah. So until next time. <laughs> amazing. Wait, I have no idea what any of you are talking about, um, but I love it. <laughs> But yes, please, everybody learn how to pick locks (laughs) and then contact me because I want your skills. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I think, you know, we've come out of this on on a pretty positive note. You know, there is hope in organization. There is hope in direct action. And even though things are really bad right now, what what this is doing is this is invigorating a lot of people and spurring them into action. And I hope that like at least one of our listeners 
to spread yeah. it to action. It's what we're going to need. Yeah. So thank you again, Quiver, for being on. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Spider. <laughs> and this was Chop Shop Economics. Until next time. All right. Catch y'all then. Bye. Bye.